Welcome back to the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. Megan Grana is the author of Call Me Penny Pickleberry, a story about a little girl named Penelope who learns how to navigate her positive and negative thoughts and emotions in this charming new children's book that hits the shelves this week. Megan draws from decades of experience working within some of the country's largest school systems, supporting children and families, first as a speech-language specialist, to today as a pupil personnel worker within Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland to help bring Penelope's journey to life. In this episode of The Pod, Megan shares her personal experiences managing her childhood anxiety, the role she plays as a pupil personnel worker in helping families and children overcome barriers to learning, her inspiration in creating Penelope Pickleberry, and the process of getting Penelope's story written, published, and ready to share with the world. Penelope's story is relatable to children and adults alike and puts the focus on the power we each have in overcoming worries and living our lives to our fullest potential. Without further ado, here she is, Megan Grana. Enjoy. As a parent yourself, this was what, your seventh first day of primary education for your oldest, right? <laughs> yes, so yep. it, I, I'm sure there Crazy. were a little bit of jitters, some nervous excitement. What, what does the first day of school kind of feel like as a parent in your eyes now versus what you were feeling as a kid for yourself when you were starting that first day? I was a very, you know, I use that term anxious, but back then we said shy. I was so shy as a kid. So everything, it would just... I would freeze. I'd just be paralyzed. Mm. So I was a worrier for sure. And, you know, my kids don't worry as much as I did. (laughs) So I, in some ways I'm like, oh gosh, they won't have to suffer through that the way I did because they're ready to go. So I didn't worry as much sending them off to school this year. Mm. I also was just so glad, you know, taking those pictures, I could see their faces, you know, I was just those small moments of gratitude that I can take a picture of them for the first day of school and they're not masked, which was really nice. What a great point. Give me kind of an idea of your Monday through Friday. I mean, how often are you based there centrally versus out in the field? So I'm basically always out in the field unless I have like a meeting with my department, then we usually find a different space. So I cover four schools and I have offices in three of them. So I'm based out of secondary schools. I spend a lot of time at at my middle schools and then I'm kind of on consult for my elementary schools. It just depends on where my needs are. So that can literally change maybe the night before. Oh yeah, for sure. And then you know, I do home visits, which are need-based typically. So, so yeah, it's been a little bit easier virtually because some of my schools still have all their meetings virtually. So I can just sit at one desk and hop from one school to the next school to the next school meeting-wise, whereas before I was, you know, running around all the time, but it's gotten a little better. I was going to say, because that certainly saves time on the road, but what's, I guess, lost though, when you have to deal virtually with students? I'm sure quite a bit, right? There's something about being in the same room or do you find it to be just as advantageous? For kids, I think it's definitely, definitely better in person. For families and parents, it's just more accessible. I mean, I like to meet in person and we always offer that, but Mm. you know, some parents have transportation issues. They have difficult work schedules. They might work like shift jobs where they, you know, only have a half an hour for lunch. Otherwise they lose pay. So that type of thing They can call in from their phone, which, you know, we have a higher attendance rate with parents when they can call in. So there's there's definitely benefits to both. We had our first department in-person meeting in two years today. PPW is from all over the county. There's like 53 of us, I think. We've seen each other, but not, not in that format in a while. 
Now, when you say PPWs, pupil personnel worker, tell us a little bit about what that role entails. You were certified in 2018, so there's definitely mm-hmm. some training involved. Yes. So a pupil personnel worker, we are staffed with the Department of Pupil Personnel Services and Attendance, which is overseen by the Office of Student and Family Engagement, which I think is a better description of what our job is. <laughs> pupil mm-hmm. personnel worker doesn't quite sound that great. Right. <laughs> um, and so if you look at my job description, it is kind of all over the place. You'll see behavior and discipline and residency and enrollment. But when it comes down to it, the basics are just that we help identify barriers to learning, and then we try to remove those barriers. So if you think about what might impact a child's ability to attend or to engage in school, obviously attendance, behavior in the school. So if, if students are having you know issues in the classroom, we try to problem solve with the teachers. You know, Typically, they're trying to communicate something, some need that's not being met, and we try to support them in that area. And then, of course, if kids are not they don't have a home to stay in at night. It's hard to enroll. So we do a lot of enrollment for students who are on homeless status. We try to maintain some consistency. So if kids are moving from home to home, if they're staying with a family member or staying with a friend, we try to maintain the consistency in terms of school enrollment. So uh, we case manage students that are on homeless status and then access to community resources. So that could look like a lot of different things. A lot of times it's um, some mental health services that are provided outside of the school. Sometimes that can be some financial assistance programs, food security programs. Uh, We work with Montgomery County Food Council because obviously if kids are struggling with food insecurity, they're not going to be ready to learn when they come to school. So it is kind of a broad range. Um, And then on the school side, we try to problem solve interventions. Sometimes it's academic, sometimes it's behavioral, uh, sometimes it's social emotional. Their needs aren't being met. We try to figure out what kind of interventions we could provide in the classroom and in the school environment. Part of what you get into as far as Call Me Penny Pickleberry, which I want to touch on, you now are now a published author. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You give kind of little helpful hints towards the end of the book, which we'll talk about the book here. But I I fast forwarded to the end because part of what you lay out is writing your feelings out in either a story form or jotting them down. Was this an accumulation to get to this point of being an author of doing exactly that? Did you feel like it was time for you to go ahead and write out either the experiences that you were having as a professional or maybe as a parent and what you were seeing, maybe what you felt personally? And is that what kind of led you to becoming an author? Well, first of all, I've always loved writing. That was always my favorite subject. In high school, I mean, I didn't join a whole lot of clubs, but I always went to my creative writing class. You know, I loved writing in college. I loved writing in graduate school. And even with my job, when I would write these technical reports, I actually just enjoy wordsmithing, you know? So that certainly has always been an interest of mine. In terms of the book, you know, like I said, we would always run these student well-being meetings. And during COVID, just every meeting, one after the other after the other, the focus of the meeting was on the anxiety levels that everyone was feeling, particularly these kids, you know, these middle schoolers are just completely shutting down. And it was the anxiety around the situation that they were in that some of them really had a hard time even logging on virtually because they would worry about what they looked like and other people would be staring at them. What if someone took a screenshot? You know, all these worries that they've never had to deal with before, in addition to the fact they weren't even able to see their friends. So, you know, I started to think we really need to start addressing these types of issues earlier on in our educational system. You know, we need to start 
putting these terms in child-friendly language so that kids can start talking about anxiety and how they're feeling because there really are such big, big feelings. You know, that was kind of in my mind. And I, I swear, I, I've said this before to other people that I went to bed one night, I just had this idea. I said, well, what if we put a name to anxiety? What if we gave anxiety its character and then demonstrated how we all have that ability to not listen to that voice and reframe our thoughts and make a choice. How are we going to tackle this really, really tough situation? And not denying that those feelings are big and real and that that situation is really hard, but we do have a choice in how we're going to approach it and move forward. And so I started writing the next day. I just started writing early in the morning. I'd get up before my kids got up. I'd have my coffee and my dog. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to write this. And that's kind of how it started. But you know, I finished the book and everyone who's read the book said, gosh, I can relate to this book so much. Oh my gosh, my niece could relate to this book so much. Oh my gosh, my daughter, this is my daughter. And after I wrote the book, I thought, this is me. And I think the reason it's so relatable is because we can all feel those voices and we all experience that self-doubt. So it, it really did feel like an autobiography after I wrote it. I did not mean to kind of draw upon my personal experiences, but I think when you do have higher levels of anxiety that maybe some other people don't have to the extreme, you almost have a very intimate relationship with anxiety and, and those anxious thoughts because you've had them for so long. So I feel like I was able to make it a little bit more relatable because I had such a personal relationship myself with, with how anxiety can feel and how it can impact you. Anything about her name or about her age or, or stage of elementary school that you thought you wanted to hone in on? Was this something that just kind of it felt right. It sounded right. So Penelope came to me. And then when I realized the two nicknames for Penelope are Penny and Nellie, it really just fell into place oh because Penny is the positive uh, mm -hmm. thinking and Nellie is the negative thinking. So that just worked itself out. And then in terms of the age of the character, most young children who start to exhibit anxiety exhibit it between ages six and eight long-term anxiety. And so I'd read that somewhere. So I, I made her seven, although the feedback I've gotten is I have fourth grade teachers that were like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read this or, you know, to their class. So I do think it's applicable to older kids, but I made her a little bit younger because I just wanted to start early. Was there anything special about those parts of the days and the activities that she was involved with that felt right to you or that you experienced as a child? Those were some of the activities or maybe with your children as well. These are all things that are so dead on for just the life of an elementary schooler. Yeah. And I worked in elementary schools. I mean, I still work with elementary schools, but I worked in elementary schools for so long and I have two young kids that I just kind of went through their day. What would be something that would cause them anxiety? So like partnering up, ugh, you know, <laughs> for that kid that doesn't really want to put themselves out there, they're always the last one left and it feels icky. And, you know, I hate that. I, I'd, I'd rather the teachers partner them up. But that's one thing that I just finding somewhere to sit in the cafeteria, you know. And then, you know, those are the same things that happen in middle school. You know, what's a big one is group Halloween costumes. That always causes mm. some social distress in middle school. You know, they're going to be this foursome and I'm, I don't have anyone to be a threesome so here true. with. And, you know, so those true. types of things. But yeah, so and then, you know, the culmination of the story kind of happens at the soccer field when really the big win is that things are going to happen. You know, things are, are not always going to go your way, but 
the big win is how you handle it. So I, I wanted to make sure that was the message at the end, not that you are going to, you know, ace the test all the time. That's not what's going to happen. So yeah. And how that all dovetails back into the title of the book is really brilliant. It didn't hit me immediately after reading it exactly just the meaning in the title of the book. And you really have to go through the story and then through the end to really then register, okay, this is the title of the book for a reason. And it just really, really well done. Thank you. You know, it's one of those things to have a great idea and to even start writing something, but to get it actually published. I mean, that's a whole nother thing entirely. You started off, I believe, as a Kickstarter project. And it was one of those that was identified as a Kickstarter project. Uh, we love is what they call it. Yeah. And since that time, I mean, you've had over 130 backers pledge, you know, well over $10,000 to help support this project. What was that process like in actually getting it to the publishing point? You know, to backtrack a little bit on that, it really all came down to the message of the book is like the only person that's going to get in the way of making this happen is going to be myself. And so it really was about a choice that I had to make of whether or not I was going to really make this happen or just give up on myself. So I actually, I reached out to an illustrator to see like, how does one go about finding an illustrator? I reached out to who they use, their publisher, and I saw kind of that they had raised money through the Kickstarter. So um, I reached out to them and it's called Girl Friday Books. It's fairly new. I think it's only about a year old. They have a hybrid children's imprint called Bird Upstairs. It's really kind of a, like it says, it's a hybrid. It's a mixture of some traditional aspects of publishing. They have a sales team. They provide the editing and the art direction. But it's also a little bit like self-publishing in that I do have the final say on everything. I, I do get a higher royalty rate. Good. I did have to pay for part of those services, which is why I get a higher royalty rate, but kind of had the authority of a self-publishing book, but also a lot of the support that you'd get with a traditional publisher. So so once I met with them, we, we had a couple of meetings. They tried to see if, if it's a project that they feel is a good fit for them because they really try to highlight books that are inclusive in nature. And then once we decided, okay, this could be a good partnership, they present my project. They have a managing partner. They present the project to an editorial review board. And so they meet, I think once a month or once every other month, and they review projects for their imprint. And then that's that's how it happened. They reviewed my project and they approved it. We signed a contract and that was about a year ago. So and that was really fast tracking it. You know, Typically it takes about two years um, but we really wanted to get this book out here specifically because of everything that kids have gone through. And also, we really felt like it was a great book to help kids start the school year. So we felt like this is a fall book. This is a September book. So we started right away. Um, and the first thing we did is they set me up with an editorial. She is a developmental editor. And so she's done a lot of work with National Geographic and with the Arthur books. I just loved her. And she kind of edited for language, like developmentally appropriate language, like would a kid really say this? Or would a kid really say that? Or uh, let's think of a good word that a first grader would use for this. And she was just wonderful. I, I just had a great time with her. And in the meantime, the art director found Fanny Liam, and she is the illustrator. She's amazing. She just did two books recently. One was Kelly Rowland's book, came out in April, hit the New York Times bestseller list. And then she just did a book with Scholastic called More Than Peach about that little girl who wrote a letter to Crayola to get the different colored skin tones in crayons. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, that was also in the Washington Post. So she's probably booked for like five years, but she's been wonderful to work with. 
Um, and I just absolutely love how she has captured Penelope Pickleberry in the book. And I love how she did the characters. They're kind of nondescript. They're gender neutral. I really wanted to make sure that every kid could relate to them. So I think she just, she did a great job. So what's on your plate coming up here? I know there's some exciting uh, opportunities for you to go on ahead and introduce Penelope to the community and, and to the world, really. Yes. So the book comes out September 6th. Uh, I have my first read aloud story time, September 10th at Bard's Alley Bookshop in Vienna, Virginia. I'm working with some other retailers at Montgomery County to do some story times. And I just had my first article published in PBS, PBS Kids for Parents to support parents with managing anxiety in young kids. And I'm going to have a few more articles, hopefully, coming out with them. And that's where we're at. That's fantastic. And do you feel like Penelope is a character that you can continue to build off of or some of these social emotional coping mechanisms and messaging for families and children is something that can be additionally followed up on? I think so. You know, I think this was her introduction to the world. (laughs) But the sad part is it's so easy to think of so many anxiety inducing situations. You know, it's like this, I really thought was a great, like we said, a great book to start the school year. But then it's like, uh, what happens when summer comes? And we got summer camp and new kids and new routines. And so I think this is her first debut into the world. But I think she's got a few more stories to tell. Well, we look forward to following your trajectory and your success uh, introducing Penelope. Again, it was a wonderful read as a parent of children myself, and I could relate to the circumstances around the child's own concerns and worries, which are all natural. So I really appreciate you sharing your story to this point on the pod of DC. This has been great. We can direct everyone to learn more about you, Megan, at megangrana.com. So that's M-E-G-H-A-N. G-R-A-N-A.com. They can also order the book. It sounds like you'll be doing maybe some signings too uh, along the way and some of your appearances. So we really appreciate you sharing that. We look forward to seeing you here in Vienna, Virginia, and then wherever else uh, your journeys and experiences take you. But we really appreciate you sharing your story here on the Pod of DC. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. This was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you, Megan. And again, thank you all for listening and supporting the pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon. The pod of DC is a Voice of DC production. To catch up on previous episodes and to follow and subscribe, type in the pod of DC wherever you get your podcasts.